listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Jason, if you don't know, and man, I'm so grateful you're a part of our family this morning. Um, I think it's one of the hardest things in the world to trust someone, again, who has proven themselves untrustworthy, especially if they've caused you pain. To believe that there is good inside this person who has hurt you. Believing that Jesus can redeem your pain and the, and the person who created it if given a chance. That's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. Um, but what happens when who you've lost trust in is God? What happens when who you've lost trust in is God. Where do you go from there? Where do you go from there? See, we've been in this series called Peacemakers, and its tagline is resolving conflict with honor. And what I mean by that is uh, God honoring. How do we resolve conflict in a God honoring way, right? Um, How can we become peacemakers who are not afraid to address conflict in the way that God intended, right? Uh, The centerpiece of all this this whole message series, every single um, piece of this series, the centerpiece has been that if my vertical peace with God, my vertical peace with God is where it should be, then my peacemaking with others in the horizontal will, will be better, right? We spent some time walking you through the steps of peacemaking with another Christian brother or sister. We also gave you some thoughts about how to approach resolving conflict with someone who doesn't believe in God, right? Uh, we addressed some practical ways to address conflict within the context of marriage. Brian and Jody did that, and they did a phenomenal phenomenal job. And, um, and uh, last week, uh, Ricardo, not to use a sports reference, but um, Ricardo hit a grand slam last week. Like he drove it home, man. He, he covered some steps on how we can take to find peace, even when the other person would be considered our enemy and wants nothing to do with having peace. Even then, how can we have peace, right? And, and the central thesis around these messages has been that if I'm right with God and I have vertical peace with him, that peace will naturally flow into my peacemaking with others, right? But what happens when that vertical peace is broken, right? What happens when that vertical peace is bo- broken? What then? I was a part of a church in uh, San Bernardino called Crossroads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That's right. For, I was there for several years, and uh, it was a little church right on the corner of 40, uh, 30th and Waterman, and uh, 40th and Waterman was my wife's Starbucks for a while. I get confused. Uh, 30th and Waterman. Uh, I was the worship leader, and for the last year I was there, I also was the youth pastor. And this church had heart, man. It had heart. And in many ways reminds me a little bit of the mission. And, and uh, at the three-year mark of my time there at the church, uh, you know, the church had hit some severe financial roadblocks, and, and it had become apparent that I needed to find work elsewhere. Like I, I, and, and so I took a job in upstate New York, right? Of all places, I moved my Southern California wife and my six-month-old baby son, who's now 12, right? Um, to the frozen tundra of Watertown, New York, right? And, and, and the first thing they gave us in April when we got there was a roof rake, how many of you even know what a roof rake is, right? A roof rake is, is a rake that's on a really long pole, and you literally rake the snow off your roof because if it freezes, it will crush your roof, right? That's, and it was April, right? Like, I mean, when they said sometimes we have snow in Mother's Day, they literally meant like four feet of snow in Mother's Day, Right, and, and so we get we get to this uh, this upstate New York town, and you know it was it was an adventure to say the least. My wife had, and I have some good stories, but um, but after we left Crossroads, things stabilized for a while. That was the church in San Bernardino, and and pretty soon another season of hardship hit the church. Eventually, Crossroads had to close, and uh, which was hard for me to watch on the other side of the country, honestly. That, that was really hard for me to watch. But even harder were the stories I would hear from the people uh, I cared about and, 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 and their journey after the church closed their doors, right? That was the hardest part for me, was listening to those stories. I would listen to story after story about how people, the people of Crossroads held it together for a while, meeting you know, mostly in homes, but eventually they kind of scattered. And uh, many of those same people wouldn't find another church home for years and years to come, right? And, and, and some of my friends during this time just couldn't get over why God would allow their church that they loved so much to close, this place that so many had experienced such deep life transformation through, uh, through was now just gone. And some of them were left angry with God, frankly, right? Uh, sadly, during this time, some of my friends from Crossroads walked away from God because of their anger and the inability to understand why. And I've had some, I've had my moments with God where I just didn't understand why he was doing what he was doing and, and I was angry and I'd be willing to bet many of you have had those moments too. Raise your hand if you've had a moment like that. Yeah, see, you're not alone. You're not alone in this, right? And so what should we do when our vertical relationship with God is in conflict, Right? How do we recover peace with God when this happens? In, in John 11, 
That's where we're going to spend most of our time today. Uh, In John 11, we find Jesus and his disciples staying in a town called Bethany. And uh, they're not exactly laying low, but they're recovering from a pretty intense brush with some Jewish religious leaders. And, And the Jews had asked Jesus to tell them plainly, was he the Messiah? Was he the Christ? Was he the one that was coming into the world that was the son of God? And Jesus answered them very plainly, at, at least for Jesus, right? Because Jesus never answers anything like plainly ever, right? But, he, but for Jesus, this is pretty plain. He says, uh, the father is in me and I am in the father. I and the father are one, right? I and the father are one. Well, these claims just lit up the, the Jewish leaders with anger, so much so that they just began to pick up rocks, right? Uh, to stone Jesus right then and there. Let's just get this blasphemer out of our presence now. You know, so they start, they start gathering rocks to, to stone Jesus. These were outrageous claims to, to, the, to, the, to Jewish ears. And I, I mean, totally blaspheme. And, and Jesus was not backing down because he was speaking truth, right? He, he was speaking truth. And, and the Bible doesn't go on into detail, but somehow Jesus escapes this little skirmish and, and settles into Bethany, which was just across the Jordan River. And, and I imagine, you know, Jesus and his disciples are resting and, and recovering from, from this encounter when all of a sudden Jesus receives a grave message, and I mean grave literally, um, like Lazarus, who was Jesus's dear friend, brother of Mary and Martha, was ill and on the verge of death. And upon hearing this news, Jesus does something very strange. He stays put. John eleven three through 6 describes this interaction, and it says this, um, So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed there two days longer in the place where he was. Okay, so can we talk about what we just read, please? Because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting, I'm not getting it. Um, I mean, did I read that wrong? Jesus loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, so he stayed two days longer. Does that not add up to anybody else? I mean. I, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but that seems strange. Like, um, why would Jesus stay? We know he has the ability to heal people, so why wouldn't he go to Lazarus? The village that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived in was actually another town called Bethany. Uh, confusing, I know. <laughs> but this Bethany was, was in Judea, which was about a full day's journey from where Jesus was. And um, uh, Lazarus' sister, Martha, always went above and beyond to serve Jesus when, when uh, he was with 
them. Lazarus' other sister, Mary, was the woman who had just recently anointed the feet of Jesus with some extremely expensive perfume and dried his feet with her hair. And Jesus had spent quite a bit of time with these people and were as close, they were as close to Jesus' heart as anyone uh, could get. And so why did he stay? That seems really cold to me. I mean, can you imagine the messenger? Like, I have this image in my mind. It's kind of silly, but I, but I have this image in my mind, the messenger kind of um, rushing in, all flustered, you know? I mean, who wouldn't be after a full day's journey, right? And, and, uh, and the messenger comes over to him and says, Jesus, Jesus, uh, the one whom you love is ill. And expecting Jesus to, like, stand up and rush out, Right? And I and I have this I have this um, mental picture of Jesus being like oh 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 yeah okay uh, this ill this illness doesn't end in death right um, plus me and the boys just ordered another round of of butter beers so um, so um, yeah we're gonna watch the Sorcerer's Stone later and uh, as a little bit uh, it's it's clearly the most underrated. Harry Potter in the whole series. So, um, and, and yeah, the vibe is just too good here. I think I'll stay a, a while longer. And the messenger just like kind of walking off, like shaking his head, like, what? Like, dang, that was cold, Jesus. And trying not to judge him because the Sorcerer's Stone is obviously the worst movie in the series. I'm just being silly, but for the moment, it feels kind of cold right now, right? And, and, and just before you send me any nasty emails, like, I don't really believe Jesus would watch Harry Potter. Like, he's more of a Star Wars kind of guy. But, um, but uh, so not only is Jesus a day's journey away from Lazarus, but he stays for two more days. Two more days. And, and suddenly, out of nowhere, on the third day, Jesus says to his disciples, Let's, let, let us go over to Judea again. And the disciples are like stunned at this. They're like, Jesus, we almost just got killed there. And now you want to go back? Why? And Jesus says in verse 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Jesus is speaking in metaphor here, and the disciples don't really get it. Shocker, I know. They say, Jesus, if he's just sleeping, let's not risk our lives to just go wake him up, right? So Jesus says something really, really weird again in verse 14 and 15. Uh, Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. So despite the disciples' reservations, they head out to the other Bethany that was near Jerusalem. And and when they were about two miles outside of Jerusalem, they find out that Lazarus had already been dead for four days. Word gets to Martha and Mary that Jesus is coming. And and at that moment, their house was filled with Jewish men who had come to console the sisters about the death of their brother. But when Mary and Martha hear that Jesus is near, Martha runs out to him while, while Mary stays behind 
Martha finds Jesus and says in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha is grieving the loss of her brother, but she still has hope. She still has hope. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha's like, I know, Jesus. I know on the last day during the final resurrection, like my brother is going to live again. And Jesus is like, no, you don't understand. Verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And Martha feels comforted and believes Jesus so much so that she runs to get Mary, right? Who is in a very different emotional place than Martha? And, And when Mary meets Jesus, She falls at his feet. The same feet that she had just anointed with her tears and perfume that would have cost a year's wages. But this time, instead of tears of joy, she's weeping uncontrollably out of grief. She gathers herself long enough to utter one sentence. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Let those words sink in for a moment. How many of us have been in that moment? How many of you have been in a place where you said to God, where were you? I needed you and you weren't here. Where are you? As Mary spoke this single phrase, everyone standing around begins to weep. Even the Jews who had followed Mary to Jesus. They all begin weeping. When Jesus saw her weeping in the joy and and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And after moving toward the tomb where the body of Lazarus was laid, Jesus wept. See, I think this is where Mary is. See, I think where Mary is, is where many of us get stuck. This is where we get stuck. We find ourselves in a place where we don't understand what God is doing and why he has allowed something to happen. In Mary's case, the why is implied. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Why did you let this happen? Where were you? This is really, this is a really, really easy place to get stuck in. 
And if you allow it to, it will steal your peace with God. I call it the web of why. When we begin to climb onto the web of why with God, the truth is sometimes in our walk with God, the answers don't come. They don't come. We might, we might get them in eternity, but on many occasions, we won't get answers from God in this life. Or maybe we won't get them for a very long time and we'll see the answer in retrospect. And if our peace for today with God, if our peace today with God is tied solely and dependent on understanding him and his choices, that web of why will just leave us stuck like a fly to a spider to prey on. The enemy will prey on you because he wants you to think that you can somehow understand the mind of God. The enemy will tell you that God should have to explain and justify himself to you. When in reality, he's God. He doesn't have self-identity problems. He doesn't wake up one day and feel uncertain about himself because he's having a bad hair day. Like, I know we don't talk about God in these terms, but... The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans um, 11, verse 33 and 34. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? The enemy wants you to believe that you should be the Lord's counselor. That he should consult you before acting in your life. <laughs> but the Lord made it clear through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Sometimes we forget that God isn't like us, right? He is other than. He is beyond. He... And that doesn't mean he's cold and callous to our feelings. And I think the proof of that is when Jesus wept at the evil of death along with Mary and Martha. We live in a broken world and, and death was never part of the plan. But even in our brokenness, Jesus weeps with us. 
The web of why will trap you into believing that what God has chosen to do in your life is senseless. But God never does anything without purpose. It's just sometimes we don't possess the capacity of God's understanding. In the case of Lazarus, Jesus told his disciples up front why he was doing what he was doing. He said way back in verse 4, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. But they didn't get it. Sometimes God will even tell you why, and you won't get it until he's brought you all the way through it. This is where trust comes in. There comes a time and a place where you have to ask yourself, do I believe that God is good? Do I believe that he's good? Say what you want about Martha. See, whenever Martha comes up in in sermons and stuff, it's usually the story about where she was slaving away in the kitchen, right? While Mary was sitting and listening at Jesus' feet. But in this case, Martha is the one who surrenders her grief to Jesus in faith. And sometimes I think that it's just the healthy, that's just like the healthiest thing to do. Jesus, I don't understand why. I don't understand why I'm going through what I'm going through, but I surrender to you because I believe you're good. And I say yes to all your promises for me. I believe you, God. When you say you knew me, When I was in my mother's womb, I believe you. I trust that you are working all things out for my good and your glory. That's what surrendering to the flow of faith looks like. Not understanding, but through all the highs and lows, through all the ebbs and flows, trusting God in the process because he's good. See, there was no way that Mary and Martha could have known that Lazarus's story didn't end in death. His journey went through death. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave. And a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent 
me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And in my Bible, that's where it breaks to a new paragraph, but I feel like 45 is actually really important. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Even though Jesus told the told them, the disciples, Mary, Martha, they couldn't have predicted how the story would end that day. The Jews who believed at the end of this account were probably a lot of the reason why Lazarus and his sisters had to go through all this. It was so people would see the glory of God through his son and believe. Is that a good enough reason why for you? It's hard to surrender because when we, when we don't understand because, because of what God is doing in our life, it, it sometimes feels like the opposite of loving, but, it, but it's always for our good and his glory. Sometimes all God is trying to do is deepen our faith in him, to expand our view of what he is capable of, to cure our unbelief for his glory. So as the band comes, the next time you find yourself in a position with God where you feel conflicted, I would encourage you, don't stuff it. Talk about it with him. Talk about it with a friend or your accountability partner if you have one. Talk about it with your grow group leader. Talk to it, talk about it with the Lord in prayer. He can take it. I would encourage you to surrender to the fact that we can't understand the mind of God. But out of his graciousness, sometimes he gives us a glimpse into his purpose. But even when he doesn't, don't get stuck in the web of why Surrender to the flow of faith that God is good. And he's working out all things, even the things we don't understand, for our good and his glory. Let's go to prayer. Father God, I thank you for what you're doing, Lord. 
Father, Lord, we just as a church family right now, God, we surrender before you, Lord. We surrender our need to know. We surrender our feelings of entitlement. Father, expand our trust in you. Expand our faith in you, Lord. Expand our belief in you. Lord, so many times when you healed the blind, it was so that people would see and believe. So give us the boldness to believe even when we don't understand. Give us the boldness to trust even when we feel vulnerable. Give us the ability, Lord, like Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know whatever you ask of the Father, he will give you. So let us grieve with hope, Lord. Let us not stuff these feelings, God. Lord, when we don't understand you, like my, like my friends that walked away from you for a period of time in crossroads, Lord, don't let us lose time with you. Cultivate our relationship, Lord. Let us desire to cultivate a relationship with you, God. Father, in every season and circumstance, Lord, remind us that you are working everything out for our good and your glory. Lord, Let us protect our vertical peace with you so that our peacemaking with others, Lord, may be uninhibited. I just am feeling like we have some prayer work to do right now. And so I'm just going to open it up during this time. If you need prayer, just come to the front somewhere and uh, one of me or my core team leaders will be ready to pray with you. And uh, I don't want you to let this moment pass. If this is like, if this message is stinging you a little, I want to invite you to not let the moment pass, but to savor the moment for surrender. We invite you to work, Holy Spirit, now. Convict our hearts. Bring healing. Father, we submit our old wounds to you that have become festered and infected, Lord. And we ask you to heal them, Lord, even if it's just the beginning of the process, Lord. We don't want to hide these vulnerable places anymore. 
We're surrendering to you, God. We surrender to you now. I'm just going to leave this time open for prayer for a few moments, and then I'll come back up and invite the ushers forward. But uh, let's go to prayer during this time. podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.